cross, he said it is finished. So it's Jesus, period. In verses 1 through 5, Paul talked about experience first. In other words, what the Galatians themselves had started to experience when they accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But now Paul turns from experience to the Word of God. We never judge the Scriptures based on our experience. It's the other way around. We test and validate our experience based on the Word of God. Always going to the Word of God to back up, to support my experiences. Because people have all kinds of experiences. You know, they have, you know, they have dreams and, and, and they'll come and say, Hey, you know, I had this dream last night and God said... And I say, okay, what did God say? And then they'll tell me, oh, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. Yeah, well, that was my dream. I had, I had a dream, and, and I feel the Spirit. I said, well, it wasn't the Holy Spirit. It may have been a spirit, but it wasn't the Spirit of God because God's Word does not say what you're saying. And God's Word never changes. And God's Word is not going to change to meet your experience. We need to run everything that we experience through the Word of God to support that experience or whatever it is we're wanting to, to, to support or think is right. Because the Judaizers, the reason we do that, uh, again, is, is to, to validate what other people might try to tell us. In verses 1 through 5, again, Paul asked several questions of the Galatian converts. In this section, he's going to quote several Old Testament scriptures to prove that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone and not by the works of the law. Because the Judaizers wanted to bring the believers back under the law. Paul quotes the law. And because they really respected Abraham when it came to their religion, the Apostle Paul uses him, that is Abraham, as one of his witnesses. So Paul uses Abraham's experience as another argument to discredit mixing law with grace in salvation. Let's begin with verse 6 of chapter chapter 3. And Paul says, Just as Abraham believed God, okay, we're picking up where we left off in chapter 5, Verse 6 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Paul is quoting here in verse 6 from Genesis chapter 15, 6. Again, Paul is going to use Old Testament scriptures to show that, that, that mixing law and grace is not right. It's not biblical. Okay, that, that's all that Abraham needed to be saved. Believing God. His salvation was based simply on the principle of grace, which was made effective in his life when he believed God. In Genesis chapter 12, God told Abraham to leave the land of Ur and go to another country. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 through 10, it says this, By faith he, speaking of Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. By faith Abraham turned his back on the old way of life in Ur, and he set out for heaven, and he became a pilgrim and a stranger in the world. But that was only the beginning he wasn't, he wasn't counted righteous at that point. In Genesis chapter 15, God talked to Abraham about the Lord. Abraham complained, well, Lord, you've given me no seed. I don't even have a son. 
And that's what he says here in verses 2 through 3. Then the father pointed to the stars in the heaven. And he said, in Genesis 15, 5 through 6, he said to Abraham, Abraham, your descendants are going to be, as he pointed to the stars in the heavens, and he said he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He told Abraham, look up in the sky. Look at the stars in the heaven. He says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And, it's, and when, when God told Abraham that, it says that Abraham believed what God said. And then it says, God accounted it to him for righteousness. When Abraham believed God, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith 430 years before the Mosaic law was even given. It was when Abraham put his faith and his trust in what God said about the coming seed, which speaks about Jesus Christ, which was one of the Old Testament names for the Lord Jesus. That's when all of the righteousness of God was transferred to him when he took God at his word. Then after that, he tells about the amazing story of God signing the unconditional covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 15, 12, it says Abraham was in a deep sleep at the time God wrote the covenant. So it's clear that Abraham didn't have anything to do with the covenant. And he, Abraham didn't do anything to deserve his salvation or to earn being made righteous. He was sound asleep when the covenant was written. So the point Paul makes with the Galatians is very clear. The Judaizers or the legalists were proud of being Abraham's seed. They were pr- proud of being from the lineage of Abraham. So Abraham was saved simply by believing the Lord and nothing else. Faith is confidence in God that leads to obedience to God. It's easy to say, I have faith. It's easy to say, I believe in God. But does it believe to a, a, a particular behavior? Faith is confidence in God that leads to obedience to God. True faith is based on what God says and, is a de- and it's demonstrated by what we do. That shows that I truly believe what God says. That alone debunked the Judaizers' requirement of works and grace needed in salvation. And the Apostle Paul, man, he was just starting here. If that's how Abraham was saved, then how are others saved? Exactly the same way. From the time of Abraham, people have been learning that when they obey God's voice and they surrender all to him, whatever they hold most important, he multiplies it thousands of times. When God asked Abraham to give up his only son, by doing so, all of his dreams, all of his desires for Isaac's life as well as his own hope for a great heritage, disappeared. And yet God restored Isaac to his father. And Abraham's family became, as God said, as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. And through his descendants, it says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, Galatians 4.4. This is exactly how God deals with every child of his when we truly sacrifice, when we surrender everything. Verse 7. Apostle Paul goes on to say, Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. 
The Jews boasted to Jesus about being Abraham's seed, that is, sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham. A lot of people think because they're born to Christian parents, they're automatically Christians. That's basically what, what Abraham's descendants were saying. We're, we're children of Abraham. We're from his lineage. Okay. But you don't live like Abraham does. You don't act like Abraham does. The very same Jews who said, we're children of Abraham, they're the ones who are plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus bluntly told them, no, you're not. You're not, you're not the seed of Abraham. Because he said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Being descendants of Abraham does not give you any special standing with God, Jesus was saying to the Jews. Just because you were born from the seed of Abraham, the lineage of Abraham, you're in that family, it doesn't, make you, it doesn't give you any special standing with God. And what did Abraham do? He did what they wouldn't do. Abraham believed God. They didn't. What, uh, he believed God, they wouldn't do it. Jesus told the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil. You see, being a child of Abraham had nothing to do with ancestry. Being a Christian has nothing to do with our ancestry. It doesn't matter if we come from a long line of, of Christian relatives. Each person must make their, decide, their decision for Jesus Christ. So for, for what Jesus was telling, being a child of Abraham had nothing to do with their ancestry. It had everything to do with spiritual birth, born again. They became Abraham's children when they did what Abraham did, believed in God. Nothing more, nothing less. It was a matter of the same faith. Verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So here in verse 8, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. That was the good news. All nations would be brought into the spiritual blessing of Abraham. How? The same way Abraham was brought into blessing. That was the sure foundation Salvation is by faith. And Paul keeps driving this point home. This was always God's plan. And Paul says to the, his Galatian converts that the Gentiles should be justified by faith. So in, in accordance with God's omniscience and foreknowledge, he pro proclaimed the gospel over 2,000 years ago in the words spoken to Abraham. You see, it wasn't some new idea that salvation was by faith alone. That was always God's plan from the very start. Paul wasn't some cult leader. He wasn't trying to start some cultic church or some new cult in the area. Paul wasn't preaching some new cutting-edge gospel to say, hey, come to our church, we've got something new. Hey, if it's the Word of God, it's the same gospel. There's too many who want to do new and fancy things and, and exciting things to draw people. For them, the gospel, the good news, isn't good enough for them. The gospel that Paul preached went all the way back at least as far as Abraham. The Judaizers, the legalists, would point the Gentiles to Moses. Paul pointed them to Abraham. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith, notice, are blessed with believing Abraham. 
Just as Abraham was blessed because he believed by faith in God, Paul says all those who, who, who believe in faith in God will be blessed just like Abraham was blessed. Nothing new. No, nothing to do or, or nothing, no way to earn this. It's trusting by faith in the word of God. So again, there's nothing said here about being blessed you know, in, the, in the law. So look at verse 9 again. Or 9 here, it says, so, so then, those who are of faith are blessed notice, with believing Abraham. Again, there's nothing said here about being blessed in the law. Abraham received all of his blessings by faith. And all of those who come the same way he did, they will too. The reward of faith is much greater than any reward of the law. Verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, notice, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. This is interesting. Listen to what Paul's, the, the example that Paul's using. So he's talking to the, to, the, to the Galatians now who are thinking about going back to the law or mixing the law with grace. So Paul says to them, let's paraphrase, so he says, so you guys are now all in love with the law, are you? Well, he says, have your new Judaizer friends, the ones that are trying to draw them back into the law plus Jesus, he says, have, have your new Judaizer friends told you everything that you have to do to keep the law as a way of salvation? He's telling them here in verse 10, have they told you about the curse of the law? He's quoting from Deuteronomy 27, 26. He says, cursed is, the, the word says in the Old Testament, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law. In other words, these curses, he says, will come upon you for not keeping the law. Things like disease and defeat and drought and exile and fear. He says, how about that, huh? How would, how would you like to experience that? Did your new Judaizer friends tell you all of that? Is that what you want to put yourselves under? Is that what you want to go back to? That's what God brought you out of. You want to go back and put yourself under the law? Paul says, then you better make sure you keep all of it. There were several hundred laws by the time the Jews got through with the Ten Commandments. They kept adding and adding, don't do this, don't do that, can't eat that, can't eat that, don't drink this, don't go, don't go here. Don't. I mean, and so was Paul saying, hey, if you're going to go back to the law, you better make sure you keep it all. Every single word, every duty, every command, every rule, every rite, every ritual, every requirement, every single day. And there are religions like that. You got to do this. You got to do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go there. You can't go there. Paul says, if you leave out, the, the curse of the law says, if you leave out one single thing for even just a minute, he says, then the curse of the law will be upon you. And there's no excuses, no exceptions. Cursed is the one, it says, who does not continue all the book of the law to do them. I mean, does that sound like something that's exciting to look forward to? What an enslaving thing to trade for God's so free and full salvation that's offered to us based on His grace through our faith in Him. 
John Phillips. He was living in Canada. And one day he was talking to a Seventh-day Adventist who was trying to bring him under the law. Now we know that it gets very cold in Canada. Sometimes it gets as low as 54 degrees below zero. So he asked the Seventh-day Adventist, how do you keep, he says, how do you keep the law on the Sabbath day? Because you see, the law said you shall not kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. You know, it's so crazy because when you go to Israel, when I went on the Sabbath day, you were not supposed to push the button on an elevator. That's considered work. And so when you went to, when you went to Israel on the Sabbath day, the, the elevators open and close automatically. Because if you push the button, you broke the law. That was just one of several hundred that, that the law talks about. You couldn't start a fire. You couldn't, you couldn't you know, take care of your animals. You could, you, there were so many things you couldn't do because of considered work. You were supposed to rest on the Sabbath. Cursed is the one who does not continue in all. And if you broke one, you might as well break them all because that's what it's saying. You must continue them all, the book of the law, and to do them. So when John Phillips asks, again, the Seventh-day Adventist who is trying to bring him under the law, he says, how do you keep the law on the Sabbath day? Because Exodus 35, 3 says, you shall kindle no fire on the Sabbath. He had no answer for him. Then John Phillips asks him the next question. He says, what, what kind of suit are you wearing? Are you wearing a suit mixed with mixed fabrics like wool and cotton? And he was. John Phillips asked him, well, you're standing there trying to persuade me to live under the law when you're under the curse of the law yourself. Because the law says in Deuteronomy 22.11, you must not wear clothing made of wool and linen woven together. These are just two laws. But there were hundreds of them like this. Then he went on to say, you're not even trying to wear the kind of garment the law demands. Because in Deuteronomy 22.12, it says, you shall, make trestles on the four, uh, you shall make tassels on the four corners of the clothing which you cover yourself with. So you had mixed wool and linen. You're supposed to put tassels on the corner of the clothes you wear. You know, can't light a fire. And, and John Phillips was making this point to the Seventh-day Adventist. And he says, you want me to keep the Sabbath and, and live by the law when you don't keep it yourself? And you can't keep it yourself. And by not keeping it, you've put yourself under the curse of the law. He said, you definitely aren't going to get me under the curse of the law too. Verse 11. Paul goes on to say, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For notice, the just shall live by faith. We live by faith. Paul was quoting here Habakkuk 2.14 from the Old Testament. This is the message that Paul was, keeps driving home. It's not works. It's not what I do. It is faith. It's not the law. It's faith. It's not circumcision. It's not keeping the Sabbath. It's not observing dietary laws, what you can't eat and can't eat. It's not honoring feast days. It's not honoring fasting days. It's just faith. Nothing more, nothing less. It's just faith. Now comes the conclusion in verse 12. Paul says, Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Quoting from Leviticus 18.15, the law said, Do this and you shall live. For the law, it was always do, do, do. That's the way it was. 
Paul says the law is not of faith. The law is a bunch of works. You're doing all the work. (laughs) Works isn't the means of faith, it's the result of faith. In other words, I do my works because I have faith. And because I want to do those things. I don't have to do them. Works is not the, 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 the means of salvation. Works is the evidence that I am saved. I want to serve the Lord. I want to do what I do for God because he saved me and I just, I'm so appreciative for what he's done for me. It's the least that I want to do for him or can do for him. So again, the law says do this and you shall live. But it's not works. Works isn't the means of faith, it's the result. The emphasis of the law is always on the word do and do demands the law. Do demands the law and do it from the heart. The problem is we can't do what the law demands. The law says do, grace says done. The cross, remember on the cross, Jesus says it is finished, period. It is finished. And the word finished means to end, complete, conclude, discharge as a debt. In other words, it means paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross, he says, your sin debt is paid in full. I just paid for it. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can do. Jesus did it all on the cross. All of the doing has been done. By faith, we cross from death to life from trying to trusting and from a system that says do to a salvation that says done. Thank God for that. Verses 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us. Notice, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was the curse of sin for us. Everyone, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul is now quoting from Deuteronomy 21:23. Jesus was made the curse of the law for us. It's Jesus Christ, not the law, that provides salvation. And it's faith, not the doing of the law, that provides the blessing of the work of Christ on the cross. Verse 15. Brethren, in the same, brethren I speak in the manner of men, Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. There is a a covenant involved in the matter of salvation. It was a divine covenant given to Abraham by God. Now, when a contract is drawn up and it's signed by the people involved, it can't be canceled or changed by somebody else. So from the time of Adam's fall... No matter what contract is in place, no matter what age they live in, God saves men by grace through faith based on the finished work of Christ. There's nothing that any man can do at any time to change that. The covenant has been made by God to us, particularly to Abraham and passed down to all of us. Verse 16. Now, To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. He's quoting here from Genesis 12, 7, Genesis 13, 15, and Genesis 24, 7. Now, 
the promises or the covenants or an agreement, the promises were decreed and made to Abraham and his seed, that is, his offspring, his heir. You notice the seed, capital S. God doesn't say, and to seeds, with a little s. Not, it's not to, to Abraham's descendants or heirs as, as referring to many persons, but and to your seed, God said. Your descendant, your heir, obviously referring to one individual who is none other than Jesus Christ the Messiah. The wonderful divine promise in the covenant was the gospel in Jesus Christ. So Jesus was a fulfillment of this covenant because God promised him to be in the covenant. So the legalists, the Judaizers, they belittle Christ by insisting you need more than Jesus to be saved. What they're saying is Jesus is not enough. Belittling Christ and what he did on the cross. Verse 17. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So, you know, God was saying the, the law was in effect 40, 430 years before Moses. So there's nothing that, that can be done by anybody to annul or change that covenant. Adding the law to salvation says Jesus is not enough. That cancels the covenant that says Jesus is enough. But the law came hundreds of years after the covenant and it can't cancel or change a covenant that's already been confirmed. 430 years before, verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So Paul's trying to make it very clear. If the inheritance, that is the promise, depends on observing the law, obeying the law, like these false teachers would like you to believe, he says then it no longer depends on the promise. But God gave it to Abraham as a free gift exclusively by the goodness of his promise. So the covenant promised Abraham the inheritance which involves the gospel salvation. The inheritance was by divine promise in the covenant. So to add the law to this, to the covenant, is to go against God. Verse 19a. The first part of verse 19 is, What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of the transgressions till the seed should, should come to whom the promise was made. So after emphasizing it's all about grace, Paul now explains the purpose of the law. Paul says it was something that was added because of transgressions. He said, until the seed, that is Christ, should come, means the law was temporary. So the law was in place and would be in place until the coming of the seed, Jesus Christ, so showing the law was temporary. It wasn't meant to be everlasting. The law was given between the time of Moses until Jesus came. As John 1.17 says, the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Law by Moses, grace by Jesus Christ. The law was added to reveal sin, not remove it. It wasn't given to keep man from sin because sin had already come. It was to show man was a natural, crude sinner before God. All right, the second part of verse 19 to verse 20. 
It says, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. So what Paul says here is God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, didn't use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. When God gave the law to Israel, he used angels. So Moses was the mediator between God and man. Without a mediator, God was revealing to Abraham all that he would do for him and his descendants. You see, a mediator stands between two parties. And the mediator helps them to agree. But there was no need for a mediator in Abraham's case because God was entering into this covenant with Abraham all right, with him and Abraham, with God. These two just t- alone. And verse 10 says, God is one. So there was no need for a go-between. The Judaizers, they were impressed by non-essentials of the law. They were impressed by, by lightning and angels and thunder and, and other externals. But Paul looked beyond the non-essentials to the essentials. That is, the resurrection, the virgin birth, Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. These are essentials of the faith. Paul looked beyond the non-essentials and he looked to the essentials. The law was temporary and it needed a mediator. The covenant of promise was permanent. No mediator was needed. There could only, so you could only come to one conclusion. The covenant was greater than the law because the law was temporary. And needed a mediator. The covenant was permanent and did not need a mediator. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So the scripture tells us that we're all prisoners of sin. So that we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Here's where we see how the law and grace work together, bringing the lost to Christ. Law shows the sinner his guilt. Grace shows him the forgiveness that he can have in Jesus Christ. Paul said in Romans 7, 12, that the law is holy and right and good. But we're just the opposite of the law. We're not holy, right, and good. Paul said that, that we, how, there's none good, that all have gone astray, that all are doing their own thing. They don't seek God. The law doesn't make us sinners. It shows that we're already sinners. It's just like the freeway speed sign. I used this illustration last week. That sign up there that says 65 miles an hour, we're not sinners because we go over 65 miles an hour we're already sinners. And that's why we go over 65 miles an hour. <laughs> that sign doesn't make us sinners. It shows that we are. We look at it and go, hmm, and we just keep on going. <laughs> that's what the law did. It didn't make us, it showed that we are sinners because we don't obey the law. We can't obey the law. James tells us the law in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. James tells us that the law is a mirror that helps us see our dirty faces. In other words, when we read the word of God, the word tells us what we are, who we are. It tells us our nature. And it tells us, but, but it, 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 you know, it can't, the mirror, the mirror can't 
wash my face. It tells me and shows me that I have a dirty face. It's grace that provides the cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a lawful use of the law, and there's an unlawful use of the law. The lawful use is to reveal sin, is to help men see their need for a Savior. The unlawful use is to try to receive salvation by keeping the law. When people say they're saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, they're showing their ignorance of the true meaning of the law. The law concludes all are under sin. Paul says we're all, we're, we're all sinners. He said we're, we're all, you know, un, you know, in sin. The law concludes we are all under sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, Jews and Gentiles alike. Since, since all are under sin, the law had mercy in it because the law had a mercy seat. It had an altar where the sacrifices for sin could be brought and forgiveness could be received. Mercy could be found there. All the sacrifices for sin pointed forward to Jesus Christ, who would be the ultimate once and for all sacrifice. Before faith came, Paul says, we were kept under the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Look at verses 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The word tutor means schoolmaster. And it often speaks of a trustworthy slave who is in charge of the boys in a family. And that tutor, that schoolmaster, basically supervised those boys. He made sure that they went to school. He would wait for them until their lessons were over. He would walk them home. He would discipline them. He kept them out of trouble, and he made sure that, he, that they were walking the line. He had to teach those boys good manners. He had to show them. He had to go over their lessons with them. He had to ask them questions. He had to make them tell uh, what, he had, what they had learned in school. All through the boys' childhood and youth, that tutor did what had to be done to keep those boys in check, even though he was only a slave himself. But once the boys reached the age of maturity and accountability, the tutor's duties were over. The boy didn't need a tutor anymore. That's what the law did to us. The law would teach us. It would show us where we were wrong. It would teach us the lessons that we needed to know. The law would keep us in line. But once we became of age, and now we make that decision for Christ, Paul said, faith has come. Like Abraham, we are justified by faith. So how foolish it would be to go back to the old days of the schoolmaster and the tutor. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is going to show in the rest of this chapter and in the, in the first part of chapter 4 some of the benefits that are ours by trusting in Christ. Trusting in Christ. that we could ne- Benefits that we could never receive under the law the law could never give a believer the nature of a son of god only christ can do that only faith in christ can make us sons of god verse 27 for as many of you as were baptized into christ have put on christ now this isn't talking about water baptism but the work of the holy spirit first corinthians 12 13 
When a person by faith trusts Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit places them into the body of Christ, into the family of God, so that you become sons of God. That's what verse 26 is saying. John chapter 1, 12, it says, As many as received him, as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. We have put on Christ. This clothing figure is used to express the salvation of a soul. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The baptism of the Spirit into the body of Christ washes away all the old traditional differences. It ended the spiritual differences. In Jesus Christ, Paul is saying there's neither Jew nor Greek. Christ, in Christ, we're all equal. There's not a Jewish church. There's not a, a Gentile church. There's just one church, a community of born-again believers, blood-washed, spirit-baptized, called-out ones. What the legalists were teaching was nonsense. They had no idea at all about the radical change, the radical change that was brought about by Calvary and Pentecost. There was no longer any spiritual difference between Jew and Greek. It ended the social differences. There is neither bond nor free, Paul said, in Christ. All are set free. All are his bond slaves, master and man, mistress and handmaid, employer and employee. The poorest of men and the highest of men are all equal members of the body of Christ. God is not, he doesn't have, he isn't partial. There's no partiality with God. We're all equal with him. It ended the sexual differences. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, Paul said. In Bible times, Jewish, in, in, in Jewish life and society, they discriminated against women. Women were just property in those days. They had no rights. They had no say, basically. Rabbis would get up every day, and they would thank God they weren't born a woman. That was the outlook that they had at that time. Women were just property, again, had no rights. Women's lib could never do what Jesus Christ did for them. He can make us one in Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 14 through 16, for, Jesus, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of separation that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people for the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Let's close with verse 29. He said, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Christ, that wall of separation between Jew and Gentile no longer exists. So the Judaizers... Those legalists, they have no right to demand of the Gentiles anything else than that which they demand of the Jews, which is true and living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. All through the whole earth, the Lord recognizes only one nation as his own, and that is the nation of believers. These are Abraham's seed. And these are the heirs according to the promise that centers in Christ. 
And Colossians tells us that you have been made complete in him. We don't need anything else. We don't need anybody else. Again, it's not Jesus and, it's Jesus, period. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful word. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in offering your son upon the cross, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself for us, Lord. And that we don't have to follow a list of do, do, do's, a bunch of do's and don'ts, God. But Father, just believing by faith in your word and the Son of God. And Father, I pray this morning that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that through the message of the word of God and the Holy Spirit, who may have quickened their hearts to recognize I've totally misunderstood what I need to be saved. I can't earn it. I can't do a, a, a bunch of good things and, and, or earn my way or, or whatever I might have thought before. It's not about anything that I can do, but it's what Jesus has done for me already. As we're praying and you recognize that you, you, you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as we're praying, just lift up your hand real quick and then, and then just put it back down. Anybody at all? Anybody? If the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart, answer the call if the Lord has put it on your heart. Anybody at all? Dear Jesus, we thank you once again for all that you've done. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for all that you're going to do, God. May you have your hand upon us, Lord. May you bless uh, your people, Lord, as they go their way, God, and just uh, may they just reflect upon your word and what you've done for them, Father. We're forever grateful, Lord. We thank you for the offering that we will receive today, God. As always, we thank you for your blessing, for your faithfulness, and that we've never had to beg or will we beg, God, for anything. Because you are our provider, you're our supplier, and you are faithful. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you all know, it's